What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is August 27th right now when we're recording. Just got to let you guys know the date so that you know what is current up to when because everything's always changing. Um, It is storming a little bit here in New York. So if you hear any thunder, sorry, I can't really do anything about it. (laughs) It's a beautiful sunny day here. It's nearly spring. We start spring on the 1st of September here, so only a few more days. It's going to be, I think, about 25 degrees on the weekend, which I think is about 80 Fahrenheit, so that's pretty good for the end of winter. I'm ready, ready for it. Yeah, I'm, I lost my whole summer to coronavirus. So. Oh, no. Well, we lost our whole summer last year to the bushfires. To the so fires. I'm like, surely this, this is going to, you know, and then we've had the whole rest of the year for corona, so surely this is going to be it now. But we Hopefully. say that every week, don't we? <laughs> yeah. And it never is. Well, <laughs> this is the week. <laughs> it's going to be the week, surely. Um, life update of the week so far. I'm going on vacation, like I said last episode. So by the time you guys hear this, I'll be on the beach. So pray for me because I'm a little bit scared of the ocean. So <laughs> hope for the best. Um, Hopefully but I'm good weather. No more hurricanes. Hope everyone's been safe with this last one too. But Hopefully you get some nice weather. Hopefully. Mm. Rains a lot in the south. <laughs> At least it'll be nice and warm. It'll be good. Good to get away. Yeah. Have you um, sold your house yet? <laughs> Hopefully next week we might have an update. <laughs> no, there's la- still lots and lots happening. Nothing confirmed yet, but I'm. every day goes up and down. Some days I'm super confident. Other days I just don't want to get out of bed. So <laughs> hopefully... <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully. Still still have hope. So that's the main thing, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll say a prayer. <laughs> Thank Thoughts you. and prayers. <laughs> Best wishes. <laughs> Thanks for the memes. <laughs> so for another update with our Facebook group that I'm sure you're all in, so you already know this update, we added another moderator to our team. <laughs> Her name is Marissa. She is really great. We love her. So hopefully everyone is nice to her. Um, yeah, make her welcome. She's been in the group for ages. She's a great contributor. Great contributor, We've, great person, great personality. We're happy to have her on board. Yeah. <laughs> One um, other milestone, I guess, for the group that we could quickly mention is we're nearly at 150,000 members. I think we're at like 149,300 or something. So Next week, we should have a 150K update for you guys, which is very, Ooh. very exciting. It's unbelievable, really, that number. But Wasn't well, like 100,000 your unicorn number when we first started? Yeah, I know. I, always, I, I just always thought we would never ever, you know, that would be a number I would never believe we would get to. And then we've got to 50,000 in like six months. Maybe I could be wrong. I'll give you the proper facts and stats next week. But we've had, it's crazy. It's just going bananas. Yeah which is great. We love it. But, um, yeah, a very big milestone for us coming up. Mm-hmm. Speaking of um, people who hopefully like us, we got a few good reviews that we yes. are very proud of. I guess is the <laughs> word I've seen I'm very grateful for. Every week there's more and more people who join the group too and because of the podcast. We ask people in one of the questions, how did you hear about the group? And they also heard the podcast. I'm coming to join the group, so we're really excited to have people coming that way, you know, as opposed to people from the Facebook book group just listening to the podcast. But 
Two of the new, I'll just mention the most two recent reviews that we got. One, Amber said, every time they post a new episode, I get excited, (laughs) which is really sweet. And then the other one um, said, loving the flow of the podcast now. As a member of the group, I appreciate the chat regarding other updates and getting to know you all a little better. Thanks for making my driving time and gardening time much more enjoyable. Hell yeah. That was really nice. Yeah. Thank you so much for those. Like we love and I know someone else sent a message um, which we shared among the admin group. She tried to make a post and said that she just wanted to let us all know, you know, how much she appreciates the group and how it has, you know, helped her and changed how she does things. So it was really, you know, it's lovely to hear the, ni- the nice feedback especially. And if you're um, going to leave us a shitty podcast review because of something <laughs> that happened in the group, we're so going to get it removed. Related, yeah. <laughs> someone was yeah. mad that we didn't accept their post because it was like a duplicate or something and they left us a bad podcast review because of the Facebook group. We would love to accept thousands of posts a day. You know, I think people think that sometimes we don't want to accept the post. We absolutely do. But the only reasons we won't accept them is if it's a duplicate. Like, so if there's already a topic in the group or if you haven't formatted properly, like you need to just include one sentence of information. If you do that and it's a new, new topic, it will get through. So you know, that's all you've got to do. Just read, we've got posts and posts about how to post, which I know <laughs> seems a bit weird, but if you're not sure, just look on the help topics. It's all there. And, you know, we'd love to have as many topics as we can. So, you know, Olivia and I, we chat pretty often every day because we're BFFs <laughs> and somehow the subject of wakes and funerals came up. We were just talking been, about it. Yeah. Lots of, well, we've sadly. both been having to go to some. Yeah. So, lately. We know that you guys sometimes in the group like to hear about the differences between the U.S. and Australia. So we realized that it seems like wakes and funerals between the U.S. and Australia are pretty different. So, so, all right. So what usually happens here when you go to a funeral or, you know, when someone dies is that you have the funeral. So it's either usually at a church or like a um, funeral home or a chapel or whatever. So you have that. There's usually the casket is still there no matter what's going to happen to the person after that. And there, I'm sure that 99%, I've never actually heard of an open casket funeral here. 99%, I would say, you know, maybe there are a few that are open, but I've never, ever, ever seen or heard of anyone going to an open casket funeral here. So you go to the funeral, they have a service, the casket's there, and then the person gets taken away either for burial or cremation. Um, and then after that, you have the wake on the same day. And the wake is usually at like a, um, what can be like at a hall or a, like I went to a funeral in July and it was at a, like a club, like a, not a nightclub, but like a, um, I don't even know what the, the like same thing. Like a catering hall. It's like, well, you know, like I know you guys have like country clubs where you can go like for yeah. dinner and it's that kind of place where you can, it's like a like licensed a- venue where you can go and have drinks and dinner and stuff usually and they have like a function room like the same kind of place where you could hold a wedding or a yeah like an event um, venue yeah like an event venue so sometimes they do have it at people's houses but most of the time it's at a like a function center on the same day after the funeral so I just thought that was what everyone did everywhere but clearly not (laughs) we actually realized because we were talking about it and Olivia asked if there would be a wake after and I could go have a drink and I was like what (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm like that's you know that's what you do here at awake generally it's for having a few drinks and food and like it's a, a, a celebration after the funeral so for us it's usually I mean it's different for everyone but usually the wake is first 
And sometimes they do it two nights on the weekends, usually like two, four hour time slots for people to come to the funeral home to pay their respects. Um, that's where people tend to do like open casket. There's like pictures. Everyone's just sad and everyone pays their respects to the family. You sign a guest book. Um, and it just, that's really, y'all just kind of sit around, wait. Then not usually the same day. I haven't been to a normal funeral or wake for so long. And now the one I just went to had coronavirus restrictions. Mm. But then normally, like the next day um, would be the funeral. And that's more like the church service if someone wants that. And then like the burial. And then sometimes at the burial, there'll be a pastor and they'll bless everything. And then they do a burial ceremony. But not everyone does like a church service. So, But we don't get to go to event venues or catering halls and drinks so it's <laughs> just like been a strong thing maybe <laughs> and yeah i mean i've always thought like- open casket was weird but it's very mm. normal here i guess and here what usually happens so you do the service like just say in the morning and then if the person's been buried you can go straight to the cemetery and they have like a short service for the burial um yeah or the I mean, person that the same. that's kind of in between the, the service and the wake so but it all all happens generally on the same day, so, you know. So if, if it goes for four or five hours, the whole thing usually. Also, I just remembered Mike last week says to me, he's like, "Can you ask Olivia a question for me?" And I was like, "What?" And he was like, "But <laughs> he's like, but I, maybe I want you to ask on the podcast." And I was like, "Okay, what is it?" So he wanted me to ask you if Australians refer to Australia as down under or if that's just like what Americans do (laughs) I think that's just what everyone else does like you know if you say if you reference down under everyone will know what it is but no one the places that um like sensationalist places like the Daily Mail might refer to an article down under or something (laughs) but generally no generally it's like a you know how and the other thing to throw another shrimp on the barbie (laughs) yeah it's not like outback we don't we don't even we don't even say shrimp here like shrimp shrimp i know i know what a shrimp is but we call them prawns like right. so we no one here would ever gen like you know i'm obviously generalizing there are probably some people who do but generally as a rule it's just prawns so <laughs> i don't know there's all these weird things that don't actually happen here <laughs> yeah i remember kendall was saying once she was like that that's not even australian food on the outback menu <laughs> <laughs> mm. Like that Outback Steakhouse. Yeah. I'm like, I don't even know any of that. Like, <laughs> I feel like it's Sound literally good, just but... like steaks. Like, yeah. And I guess they can just say whatever because no one really knows. But yeah. <laughs> Not everyone has Australian friends like me. <laughs> All right. Well, that's enough fun stuff. Back to the, back to the murders and stuff. <laughs> so today we're going to do like a themed episode instead of just one story because we wanted to do a couple little stories mix it up this theme is going to be bodies found in suitcases um lazi did a lot of research for us she She was amazing her research has been so so great yeah she is great she's a great researcher (laughs) but um we'll try to have her on one day but she's very adamant that she does not want to be on She's our token British person, so everyone loves hearing her. So hopefully she'll get her on one day. But we are, she sent us a bunch. We're going to do three in this episode and then eventually we'll 
do more. I'm assuming since one, we have it. One thing quickly while we're talking about Lozzie too, we should say hello to her mum because I know her mum lives in the Czech Republic and her mum loves the podcast and listens a lot. She gets so. us on those Czech Republic charts. <laughs> so because of Lozzie's mum. So hi Lozzie's mum. <laughs> so we're gonna do Jessica Luth, Austin Wenner. They are the ones that were recently their remains were discovered while people were filming TikTok videos. That is a crazy um, one. Like you know it's so yeah. random i know we'll talk more about the video but that's insane we're gonna do valerie reyes um and then we're going to speak about an australian case which is one that was really really big here for a lot of years and that's the case of carly pierce stevenson and her daughter candelise um it's a you know a crazy case a very very sad case as well so i never really knew much about that one actually yeah, it was a it was a very very high profile one here for a while. I guess because it was so mysterious for years until they actually figured out what happened. Yeah, I tried to look up statistics about bodies found in suitcases, and to my shock, I couldn't find anything super specific on it on the internet. But I did find some things that I guess count. Um, I feel like bodies found in suitcases just like such a typical crime cliche, like. Yeah. So not all bodies in suitcases are dismembered, but most of them are. So I also looked up some things about dismembering bodies. Um, <laughs> hopefully, the yeah, FBI no, is not looking at my Google, Google history. <laughs> I mean, in my opinion, when there's bodies in suitcases and dismembering all that, I feel like it's generally not a very well planned or organized killer. Kind of seems yeah. spur of the moment, and they just panic, and that's what happens. There was an article, it was by SF Gate, and we'll put all the sources and everything in our blog as usual, but it said, dismembering a body is a strenuous task that's almost always done to hide evidence in a way even most hardened criminals couldn't stomach. Um, Carol Moore, a former detective in North Carolina and a national law enforcement consultant, said in the interview that... Basically, someone who goes the extra yard like that is either psychotic or just plain evil, and I mean really evil. There are very few people who could actually cut up a body, even among criminals. It's a very different mindset. Out of the vast majority of the country's 13,000 or so annual homicides, most of them are done with firearms. Um, Only 13% are carried out with knives or other cutting instruments, and of those, dismemberment killings are even more rare. Um, There was another quote in the article from retired prosecutor Harold Jewett. He said, although it might seem easier to simply bury a corpse, stowing it in bits in something like a suitcase makes warped criminal sense. There's a certain logic to it. It's not really easier to bury someone in a city. There aren't many places to go where you can safely dig a hole and dispose of a body without being seen, which makes sense. If you live in New York City, where are you going to bury a body without being (laughs) Yeah. Like, it would take a while, you know, I know this is getting too much into it, but to dig a hole big enough for a body would take a while if you're doing it by hand. So it's definitely not the quickest way or the most discreet way to do it. So, yeah, I get that. No. So, like I just said, it seems like people who dismember bodies and put them in suitcases are especially depraved people, not... All the ones that we're going to talk about today were dismembered, but all these people I feel are especially depraved. Um, so I guess you can make your own opinion on that. <laughs> we're going to start with 
Jessica Lewis and Austin Wenner of Seattle, and that's the TikTok one. Um, you guys might have seen it on the news. It went pretty viral because there was a group of teens. They were playing a game called Randonautica, which I've never heard of. Have you ever heard of it before? No, I've never never heard of it. According to the website for Randonautica, it says it puts the user in the director's chair of an adventure story yet to be written. By using the app, the user can break from their mundane day-to-day and take a journey of randomness into the world around them. Your mind is your guide as you observe and view the world differently. So, I mean, that still didn't really explain it to me, so I researched a little more. Um, New York Times said... On first use, Randonautica offers a brief intro and some tips. Like, always random out with a charged phone, never trespass. Before prompting you to share your location, and then it'll ask you to choose which type of point you would like it to generate before fetching coordinates from a random number generator. The user can then open that location in Google Maps, and then you're supposed to go to that location that is randomly generated. Um, I read that it's usually like beaches or bodies of water fields it's usually not very exciting i guess i don't know if it um if i've got this right but it kind of sounds a bit like geocaching to me yeah yeah where you can you know go and find like a little bit of a scavenger treasure hunt type yeah it did say that it was similar to that um yeah there were two tiktok videos one was by the user uh henry like (laughs) uth henry (laughs) and I think it's like not the cat, but cat is CVT or not the CVT. I don't know. (laughs) But when I started doing more research on this, the TikTok videos were still on their TikToks, were still public. And then within a day or two, they mysteriously disappeared off of their TikToks. So I'm assuming that might have something to do with the investigation and maybe police had them take it down. But you can still find the video on YouTube and, um, if I find anything worth listening to in the clips, I'll play them. But you can still look those up on YouTube. So what happened was on June 19th, 2020, a group of teens were playing the Randonautica, and they found a suitcase washed up near Duwamish Head in West Seattle on the beach. Like I said, there's two different TikTok videos of it, so you can kind of see it from different angles, but they basically show the same thing. The text on the TikTok video screen, like while it plays, it says, Randonautica sent us to this part of the beach and we found this black suitcase. We were joking that maybe the suitcase would have money. As soon as she opened it, the smell was overwhelming. So we just found this suitcase and we're going to get it. Okay, so they're like opening it up with the sticks because we don't want to... In the video, you see the suitcase, and one of the girls is poking it with a stick until she gets it open. And as soon, yeah, so I was just gonna say, like in the video, too, it's the middle of the day, like it's Mm -hmm. you know, there's other people around, it's not like there's you know, a deserted beach or anything like that, like it just seems like a normal sunny beach day, yeah. 
Um, so as soon as she gets it open with this stick, you could see them all just like recoil because the stench is so bad. And inside the suitcase, you can see it's just a black garbage bag in there, but you could tell it's like stuffed full. Like it's dense. It's bulging. Like you can see it's just not like, you know, there might be something in there. There's something in there and it's packed. Yeah. Packed tight. Yeah. So I think immediately they kind of knew what was going on. They didn't mess with it. Um, in the TikTok video, you see them calling the police. And in one of the videos, it says that police took three hours to arrive um, and that the teens called multiple times. I haven't really seen any explanation as to why that was. I did see a few videos where they where they talked about it and they said maybe they thought it was like a dead animal or um, no, I think they knew something was dead in there because of the smell. So I guess that's why they hung around too because they yeah, knew something was bad was going on. Yeah. Hold on, sorry, I'm just texting. And may- maybe the police did just assume too that it was like really, what are the odds it's going to be a body? The odds are probably not that high. <laughs> so it may not have seemed like that much of an emergency. I saw some people speculating that um, maybe they thought it was like a joke, or just like kids messing around. So as they're calling the police waiting, the tide is coming in and the suitcase starts getting jostled by the waves. And in the video, it says that waves revealed what was in the suitcase, but they took that out of the video and they saw what was inside. And then by the time the police actually got there, the suitcase was washed back out to sea from the tide. So then they had to get dive teams. They found the suitcase and apparently they found actually several other bags and they all contained human remains. Also breaking, Seattle police are investigating the discovery of human remains found along the water near Alki. King 5's Britt Moore is there tonight. So Britt, what do we know right now? Uh, Police are still here trying to piece together where these remains came from, who they did belong to. This area of Luna Park still blocked off here. Uh, There's also a tent uh, a few feet away where police are investigating these remains. They were found in several bags near the water here at Luna Park in West Seattle. Police responded after getting a call about a suspicious bag on the beach here, and another bag was also found in the water. Now, Harbor Patrol is assisting Seattle police with this investigation. Uh, We know the remains will be taken to the King County Medical Examiner's Office, uh, but it does look like they may be wrapping things up or trying to get a, a good gist of what's going on right now but there are just a few units here uh, and that tent is still up where we're told that's where police are investigating these bags Mm, i didn't know that bit about the several bags i always just thought it was the one suitcase yeah they found more than one i guess so the human remains are eventually identified as 36 year old jessica lewis and her boyfriend 27 year old austin wenner it was revealed by the Kings County Medical Examiner that the two died around June 9th of gunshot wounds. Jessica suffered multiple gunshot wounds while Anthony died of a single gunshot wound to his torso. So police hadn't said basically anything else about this since it happened. But actually, of course, while I was researching for this, like I looked it up because I was just looking for pictures or something and I saw a news article from a few hours ago that said they arrested someone. So perfect timing. (laughs) Um, So on August 20th, 2020, they arrested a 62-year-old man named Michael Lee Dudley 
and it came to light that this was their landlord. And Michael Lee Dudley does not look like a guy who would dismember some bodies. He literally looks like Santa Claus. It looks like it's a photo from maybe his workplace because it looks like he's got like a lanyard around his neck yeah. and some earbuds. Like, he looks like the old guy in the office who doesn't know how to use a computer. Like he looks. <laughs> he looks like a nice grandpa. Like, yeah. Like you know, usually can say, oh, wow, he looks creepy. He looks, you know, Like he looks whatever. like he dismember a body. Yeah. He absolutely does not look like that. Like he does just look like an old, I don't know what the word is, an old, um, not weak, but harmless, like an old harmless dude who. Yeah, like who you'd probably have to like help do stuff. But no, (laughs) that is not not. the case. This man is a psychopath. So according to the probable cause documents that came out um, when he was arrested, just a few notes that I took out of it. It says, detectives learned through interviews with family and friends that the two victims were last seen at their address, 1646, whatever. It's where they lived. Detectives learned that the property belonged to Michael Dudley. So detectives then obtained phone records of the victims and learned that their phones stopped transmitting or receiving data on June 9th at approximately 7.08 p.m. And one of the last calls one of the victims made was to Michael Dudley. They learned from witnesses that Dudley had been renting a room to the two victims, but he wanted them to leave, and apparently they'd been fighting over that. Detectives were able to get a search warrant and During the search warrant that was served on August 19th, so the day before he was arrested or the day he was arrested, during the service of the warrant, they found bullet holes and bullet strikes and spent rounds and blood found in what they're calling the blue room. They interviewed some neighbors that told them that they called 911 on June 9th, 20 days before their, no, 10 days before their bodies were found. Mm -hmm. Um, because they heard gunfire from inside the house and they heard a man yelling, please don't do this, just let me leave. Police responded to that 911 call, but they didn't see anyone when they went to the residence, which kind of seems like, could you try it a little harder? Yeah, I know, it doesn't seem like they did much. Like, <laughs> knocked on the door. Yeah, no one answered because they're dead. <laughs> um, a witness told detectives that she had come to the residence that night in the evening hours. She stated she had seen an outline figure of a person under a pile of clothes with a bloody arm sticking out of it in this blue room. What is this blue room? It sounds like something kinky. I don't know if it is. I know. They're making it sound weird, but I'm assuming it's just like a A blue painting that was blue. Yeah. 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 (laughs) How can we describe this room? (laughs) Um, So this lady that went over there to see what was going on, she said that she saw, you know, a bloody arm sticking out of, some clothes in the blue room. She told detectives that Michael Dudley asked her to leave because he had to clean up this mess. When she returned to the house, she asked him what had happened. And he told her that his gun worked and his didn't. So like his, Michael Dudley's gun worked and his, the poor guy who got shot, didn't work is what I'm assuming. (laughs) So he clearly didn't even really care about hiding it to an extent because he's like bragging about it. Um, it says that he charged them $1,500 a month in rent, but they hadn't been able to pay it. He admitted to police to having arguments with the victims, and he stated that he owned a 9 millimeter handgun, and it was in his vehicle that he was arrested in. 
Um, when asked about the blood found in the blue room, he said Jessica had cut herself before. And when asked if the blood was hers, he stated he didn't know. He could not explain the bullets or bullet holes in the blue room. It was also obvious that the room had recently been painted and cleaned. Um, Jessica's aunt, who made a GoFundMe page for them, she did one of those little updates on it. And she said, I believe they got the monster who did this to them. Please continue to pray for their conviction in a court of law that justice will be served. And I want to thank Seattle Police Department and all their help finally being able to get this guy and anybody else involved. In the midst of their police chief resigning over the lack of support from the Seattle City Council to the protests in defending and the defending of their department through all of that, they never wavered on their professionalism and promised to help our family in any way they could. God bless them for being diligent through all of that and helping us finally be able to get sleep at night. That was nice. Mm, very nice. So then once this guy was arrested, an ex-girlfriend of his came forward. I guess her name's Marlis, M-A-R-L-Y-S, Gordon. Um, she told King 5 News that he had a violent past. The two dated on and off between 2002 and 2016. Um, some of the things she said were he started to hit me and grab my hair and my head and threw me on the floor and hit my head into the hardwood floor, threw me and my stuff on his patio out the door and came out and hit my head on the patio. Did that with one hand and held a gun in the other hand. Um, so he doesn't sound like I, the best guy ever. Yeah. His character doesn't match his Santa Claus face. <laughs> no, never trust a Santa Claus. <laughs> except the real Santa Claus. Yeah. Um, his bail's been set at $5 million, but as of right now, he hasn't been formally charged yet. One thing the story had me thinking of was the whole, they couldn't pay their rent. He wanted them to leave. And, you know, in most cases, that person would just get evicted and be forced to leave. But with coronavirus, what's been going on in New York, and I looked it up, and it's also the same in Washington. Right now, there is an eviction moratorium mm -hmm. so right now i think it's through october or maybe at the start of october landlords can't evict their tenants because they're unable to pay their rent yeah. so i'm wondering if that factored into this and he decided the next best option was to murder them which is a, <laughs> a jump but i wonder if he could have evicted them if this could have been prevented sadly yeah, I don't know. I'd, love, I'd like to know more, like, about how long they were living there for and, yeah. um, you know, it, it sounds like a bit of a shady rental situation anyway. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to know more about that. Yeah, and then I was wondering, like I said, at the start, the TikTok videos were removed, I think, like, after he was arrested, so I'm guessing it will be evidence or yeah. use that trial if there is one. And I was thinking those poor kids will probably have to testify or something. I think they'd have to, like, I don't know. I don't really know what, what can they say? Like, you know, they I know, say, like well, we found, we this, found this and we called the police. Like, do they usually get people who find bodies to testify? Like, it's not like they, it's not like they even, you know, just say, for example, they found it and then, put it aside and then decided they should actually do something about it a few days later or something. They, they literally called basically as soon as they found it. So I don't know what else they can add that isn't in the video already. Yeah, I don't know. But like with Holly Bobo, I remember they had that guy testify too. Yeah. They found her remains. So 
Like maybe. I wouldn't be surprised if they do have to testify, but I also don't know what else they could really add. Yeah, it's not maybe, like they have anything to add. Maybe they could just be used to kind of um, highlight the terrible nature of the crime. Yeah. Because apparently they did see the bodies. Yeah, I mean, like I, I when you said that the suitcase got washed away and then they could see what was in it, I'm surprised that it didn't actually wash away then. Like whatever was in there sounds like it was very close to coming out. So yeah, they were lucky to be able to recover, I'm assuming, all of it, all of the remains. Yeah, while well, they were dicking around for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So that's that one. Um, Maybe once there's any updates with it, we'll give a little update. But that is the end of that one. That was a crazy one. I always like the ones that are caught on camera. They're interesting. Yeah. So speaking about caught on camera, the one that we're going to speak about now is also caught on camera, maybe not as exciting, you know. but It's not as caught on camera, but there's video no. evidence. <laughs> there's video evidence. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. So it's an Australian one that we spoke about earlier, um, the murders of Carly Pierce Stevenson and her daughter Candelise. Tonight, the incredible story of how detectives solved an horrific double murder they didn't even know had happened. It began with the discovery of a woman's bones in bushland south of Sydney. But police had no idea who the victim was. For five years, she remained anonymous. Then another chance find, seemingly unrelated, a thousand kilometres away in outback South Australia. In a suitcase found by the side of a remote highway, more bones, this time an infant girl. But again, police were clueless about her identity. It took even more coincidence before there was a tragic breakthrough. The two victims were mother and daughter, murdered by one of the most evil monsters Australia has known. It first started kind of coming to light in 2015 when a big black suitcase was found abandoned along the Karunda Highway, which this is a tiny, near a tiny town of Wanaka in South Australia. I looked at Wanaka because everyone said it was small. It really is small. The population is 76 people. So this is kind of in the Australian outback as such. It's red dust, red dirt, you know, miles and kilometres, thousands of kilometres of not much at all. So this suitcase was found along the highway there and had been there for a while. And the way they know this is that people started to come forward with dash cam footage of the suitcase, um, you know, and it had just been there for months as far as it's they funny, could tell. No, it's funny, but you know how everyone's always like, oh, I saw trash on the side of the road, like a trash bag. I wonder if there's human remains in it. I know. And this is the one time. <laughs> <laughs> so and w- when we know now anyway it was actually there for years when I said months it was actually there for years so that's how kind of remote this area is uh passerby finally called the police in July 2015 after they opened the suitcase and they found what was pretty clearly human remains so the police did some in- initial investigation and they found that the remains belonged to a young female child there was also some belongings inside the suitcase and they released photos and they did like a, um, you know, where they, I don't know, if, do they ever do that there where they kind of staged the scenes and they've got a mannequin with a dress that was found in the suitcase, which I don't really know how that will help. Like maybe no. people just can't picture it otherwise, but it's kind of like a black tutu dress with, it looks like dots it's on like the. a cute little kid dress. Yeah, it's just all, it's all kid stuff. So there was a pink 
striped dress. Um, it looks like a, a pink shoe with a butterfly. And then there's also a black, you know, ballet kind of dress in there. So um, as we said before, more and more people came forward with the dash cam footage and it became clear that the suitcase had actually been moved over time. Um, and the police said that it looked like people had stopped and looked through it and moved it before they were eventually notified, which is a bit creepy. Maybe they just looked and hopefully just saw the, you know, rotting clothes and thought, oh, nothing. Yeah, and they were nothing, just like, rather than just abandoning a body. But anyway. <laughs> Um, I guess because the town is so small, the police started asking for information on an unidentified man who they said was probably in his 60s. He was seen in Wanaka with a large dark suitcase on April 13 and May 26 of 2015. So they wanted to try and find this guy. Um, I don't know. You'd think it would be kind of easy. What was that guy doing in this tiny town? He must have been there twice. Yeah, they only have 75 people. Yeah, I know. Like, (laughs) It can't be that hard. Anyway. That was that's kind of an aside because it ends up not being important, but that is who they assumed at the start was re- was um, responsible for dumping the suitcase. So in October of 2015, which is three months after the child's remains were found, the police got the break that they were looking for. On October 8, a call was made to Crime Stoppers, and the caller was a woman called Tanya Weber. She said, and this is a quote, she nominated Candelise Kiara P- Pierce as be- possibly being the little girl in the suitcase. Tanya said that she'd taken a photo of Candelise and her mother, Carly Jade Pierce Stevenson, at the Marion Shopping Centre in Adelaide in November 2008. So this is seven years before the suitcase was found. Candelise had been wearing the pink dress in the photo and this dress was identical to the one that was found in the suitcase in Wanaka in 2015. So there's actually a Tanya's released the photo of the baby. She's pushing a, like a stroller. She's got this pink striped dress on and the dress that was found in the suitcase is kind of muddy and, you know, dirty. But you can absolutely tell it's the same dress. Tanya said, it wasn't until they released some clothing and for some reason it got my interest again and my husband walked through the door and I said, this could be candles with tears in my eyes, Tanya said. So they did call her candles, which is a cute little nickname for the poor little thing. So once they figured out that the baby in the suitcase was Candelise, they started to kind of look for her mother, Carly. Carly had been a single mother and she'd moved away from her family in the Northern Territory of of Australia between 2006 and 2008. And she told her family that she was intending to travel and work. The last time anyone can confirm seeing both of them was November 8, 2008. Carly was seen driving a car with Candelise on the Stuart Highway near Coobapedi on that date. And Carly was 20 at the time and Candelise was two. So for anyone who's not familiar, Cooper PD is right in the outback. It's um, a mining town. And I'm pretty sure I might may have this wrong, but for some reason, and I think it's because it gets so hot, that the town is basically underground. So I've actually stayed there in a hotel. It's all underground. It's all bare, like when you look at the town, it's just kind of generally flat and everything is literally under the ground. It's very, very strange. So weird. It's like Lord <laughs> of the Rings where the hobbits yeah, live. Yeah. I'll put some photos up on the blog as well so you can see what I mean. So, like, literally, it was a very remote area where they were last seen. Um, and the, in between the Northern Territory and South Australia, it's desert. So, you know, it's not too unbelievable that no one kind of noticed they were missing if they'd been intending to travel around these tiny little towns and work. Yeah. Um, so a year after, in 2009, Carly's family did attempt to report them both missing. The New South Wales Homicide Commander, Mick Willing, 
said that Carly's mother withdrew her missing persons report on September 10, 2009, after she was reassured that Carly was safe and well, but did not want family contact at that time. So Carly was only sporadically in contact with her mother after she left and then it became less and less frequent and Carly's mum has since passed away. So when after her mum did die, I think that's kind of when the rest of the family just dropped it a little bit. It says that I think the police uh, commander said, even after this time, the extended family believed Carly and Candelise were living interstate and were safe and well. So, you know, they had no other reason to believe otherwise at that stage. Sounds like Michael Shaver. So they started to conduct DNA testing, obviously, on Candelisa's remains, and in a very unexpected twist, they were able to link the child to a set of remains that had been found in the Belanglo State Forest in another state of Australia, New South Wales. I looked it up, and Wanaka is around a 12-hour drive from the forest or around 1,200 miles. All right, so the remains in the Belangolo Forest had been found in August 2010 and remained unidentified up to 2015. At that time, police released a sketch of the woman and they said that she'd been aged between 13 and 25. And they also said that she'd probably been murdered sometime between the year 2000 or 2010. They also released an artist's impression of a T-shirt, which was found near the bones. The T-shirt carried a distinct motif featuring the word angelic in pink text, a rose and a heart with angel wings. So I've got a photo or, you know, a photo of the sketch. It's so you can see what it's, what it's like. There was also some other clothing found with her. It looks like maybe some boxer shorts and some red shorts. So anyway, you can have a look at what the clues were at the time when I put it all up on the blog. The angelic thing looks just like a typical airbrush shirt that you would get at a fair here (laughs) or it looks like you know those airbrush tattoos that you get that are kind Mm of yeah it's just yeah exactly which it looks like you can tell exactly what it would have been like yeah (laughs) so if the Blanglo State Forest sounds familiar to you and it will for every Australian listener I know not um, me it's not new but it's probably the most well-known forest in Australia Australia's most prolific serial killer, Ivan Milat, used the forest as a dumping ground for all of his victims. So Ivan Milat is known as the backpacker murderer or the backpacker killer for anyone who's not familiar. Basically, he used to pick up hitchhikers on the side of the road under the guise of giving them a ride and he'd take them to this forest and kill them. Like it's, it's so – it's and when, when you see photos of this forest, it is so creepy. I've driven past once and it's just like, oh, it's got big tall trees and even the sign at the start of the forest says, welcome to Blangalo State Forest, please be careful. <laughs> so if that doesn't tell you what kind of place this is. So anyway, Malak committed the murders between 1989 and 1993 and they found the bodies of seven of his victims in that forest. He was sentenced to seven life sentences for their deaths and he died in prison in 2019. Many people believe that Ivan Milat actually committed many more murders but that his victims just haven't been discovered. Um, Blanglo is a very, very big area so it doesn't, um, it wouldn't surprise me if there are more and more of his victims in there that they just haven't found yet. Blangolo State Forest is living up to its grisly reputation. Yesterday, trail bike riders stumbled across skeletal remains just after 3pm. It's certainly a, a find that is more luck than good, um, good management. I guess um, the best that, that we can say is that uh, the people who found them did exactly the right thing. Detectives wasted no time securing the scene just over six kilometres from the Hume Highway. 
Today, other trail bike riders were alarmed to hear of the gruesome find. A bit surprising, a bit scary, I suppose, but that's where Ivan Mallet was. So. The area is not part of the original search area set up after serial killer Ivan Mallet used the forest as a dumping ground for seven backpackers in the 1990s. This recent find is close to well-used tracks, whereas Malat's victims were found in dense forest much further north. Investigators who are familiar with Malat's crimes aren't convinced this is another of his victims. He's quite some distance away from the crime scenes where Ivan killed his victims, and that's very much out of, out of character for Ivan. And when they found these remains, the angelic remains, in Belangelo in 2010, is many speculate... Well, I just called it that, so you know we can oh. we can we can distinguish between that. I think they did call her Angel. Her name was something about Angel Doe or something at the time. I like because of the show. remains. <laughs> when they found those remains, anyway, in 2010, many people thought that they may have been related to the Ivan Malak killings, but no one could ever prove it. Following the DNA testing, police began to invest- investigate the link between Candelise and the Belangelo remains, and they soon realised that the woman found in Belangelo was Candelise's mother, Carly. So how did they die? How did they come to be dumped thousands of miles from each other, one in a suitcase, one in the forest? You know, what happened? How, you know, it's, it's just such a sad ending. But It's they, just like the, crazy. Like they were found so far apart. Yeah. And like you would never even really think to connect. You'd think maybe the body in the suitcase was an abused child who someone had just dumped and for whatever yeah. reason, you know, no one had noticed. You would just never really, what are the odds of these two being connected? Yeah, it's super weird. So they began to investigate Carly's last movements and they had to go back all the way to 2008, which I think they did a good job to be able to investigate this seven years later based on, you know, how quick everything moves these days. But um, Mm -hmm. they found that December 14, 2008 was the last day that anyone had seen Carly. She was seen with a man named Daniel Holdham at Charnwood in the Australian Capital Territory, which we call the ACT here. Carly, Daniel and Candelise had been living with some roommates at the time and the roommates said that Carly and Daniel got into an argument and they left in Carly's vehicle. I'm assuming they left Candelise with the roommates because as far as I can have read, Candelise didn't go with them at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Holden returned alone to the Charnwood property after he had been gone for 14 to 17 hours. The phones of both Carly and Daniel were tracked that day, travelling from the ACT to the Blangelo Forest. So it's then alleged that after he returned alone, Daniel cleaned Carly's car, sold it, and obtained another car, which he drove to Wagga. He purchased duct tape and a dishcloth before checking into a motel with a child, and we know now this child was Candelise. He told his roommates that he was going to return Candelise to her paternal grandmother in South Australia. When he left the motel the next day, though, and started the drive to South Australia, he was seen to be alone except for his suitcase. So I don't know why that, I guess, you know, I guess people don't want to pry, but that seems like a bit of a red flag. Yeah. I guess I wouldn't say anything either. Like, you know, you'd think, or maybe he took the child somewhere when I didn't see her, but it's just weird. But anyway, he didn't leave with Candelise walking out anyway. Police investigation discovered that when Carly and Daniel arrived at the Blangelo State Forest, he forced her to the ground and he stepped on her throat and crushed her windpipe. He then dumped her body in the bush. And when Candelise's body was found in the suitcase, she had two pieces of dishwashing cloth inside her mouth while duct tape was wrapped around her head. She also had a disposable nappy or diaper and a towel around her head. 
and the talent that they found in the suitcase had the same batch number as those used at the motel. So all these things kind of placed Hold'em at the scene. So terrible. Oh, so sad. How could you do that to a poor little baby? Anyway, this guy is a massive creep. We'll learn it and we'll tell you all about it in a minute. But following Carly's death, Daniel used her credit card for years. Um, she was getting paid benefits continually into it. And he he took $71,770 from her account over the years. And they also found that Daniel was the one to make false contact with Carly's family in 2009. So that's led to them dropping the missing persons report. It's a bit like Michael Shaver again. He pretended to be her, so they thought she was all right and dropped the report. Yeah. Hazel Passmore, who was a former partner of Daniel's, came forward and said that she'd found a SD card with images on it. He kept trophy photos of Carly's body and it showed that he had used foreign objects to sexually assault her at the time that she died. In the images on the card too, police matched the setting to the crime scene where Carly's remains were found and they also saw the angelic T-shirt in some of the photos. Hazel told police that she confronted Daniel after finding Carly's pension and Medicare card as well as Candelisa's birth certificate in his car. She thought that Daniel was cheating on her and she said, I was yelling and screaming, what the fuck is this shit? I was going off my nut and he pulled me inside literally by the scruff of the neck. He threw the chair, he starts shaking me and he's like, she's disappeared, she's gone, she's gone. And I'm like, what do you mean she's gone? And he's like, she's dead, she's dead. And that's what she told police. As if that's supposed to like make her feel better that you didn't cheat on her like no no no, she's dead yeah and this woman also like I remember at the time because I followed this case as it was kind of happening I don't believe that this woman is the nicest person either I I, just from that quote she seems like trash to be honest exactly she is like trash but then anyway listen to this bit this is unbelievable really but it emerged in 2008, which was just before the deaths of Carly and Candelise, that, that Hazel and her two children were in a car accident with Daniel. I think Daniel was driving. He was responsible for the incident either way, so that leads me to believe he was the driver. And this left both of Hazel's children dead. And Hazel was in, now in a wheelchair after this accident for the rest of her life. Was so she still with that? Or? Well, not that like I, I found. Um, I feel like just from what I'm hearing about this guy that it was on purpose. It's, I'm just Googling it now to make sure I haven't fucked that up. But, um, Even if it was sh- an accident, it was on purpose. I think there was a civil claim, but there wasn't like, like a, a criminal case. Um, I guess I probably can't really prove it wasn't an accident. It says that Hazel had her left leg amputated. Mm. Um, it was a higher car. He said he claimed it, he claimed he swerved to avoid an accident. There is no public record on the terms of settlement about that. So Sketchy. Yeah. They also found a notebook belonging to Daniel and it contained a list of children's names and ages and oh, alongside I know, alongside the names it had words such as raped, forced and consent. Like this guy is a, What's ugh. the difference between rape and forced? For a ch- and for a child. Like anyway, yeah. what child is ever going to consent to that? Yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. I know it's terrible. It's just like it's. Um, I'm laughing because it's unbelievable. Because yeah, it's fucking awful and disgusting. Like yeah. it's like unbelievable. That's why sometimes you just not nervous laughter, where you're just like, holy shit. So during Daniel's trial in 2018, evidence was presented to the court that he said in relation to Candelisa's murder, there was a sexual motive. 
and that the offender was at least attempting to or planning to sexually assault her at the time of her death. They couldn't actually prove if there was sexual assault or the extent of the sexual assault, and they said it was due to the deteriorated state of the remains. So I guess she'd been in that suitcase for seven years, so that's not really surprising. Yeah. Um, The court was told also at the time that Carly's murder was motivated by many factors, including to gain access to her young daughter, Candelise, in whom he had already expressed a sexual interest. Gross. Um, Along with causing the deaths of Hazel Passmore's two children and the murders of Carly and Candelise, we learned that in 1999, Daniel was convicted after he snuck into a woman's room and attempted to suffocate her with duct tape and a pillow. So he, this has been going on forever. He's, I don't even know how he slipped through the cracks. He's clearly a creep of the worst kind. Um, in the court, a victim impact statement was read on behalf of Carly's father, Bruce. He was too emotional to read it for himself. So someone read it and it said, I have never hated anyone the way I hate you. The thoughts of what the girls went through, the anger I feel turns to physical pain. It hurts to breathe. I would like to see the death penalty for you, but even that would be enough. On November 9, they sent oh, sorry, November 9, 2018, they sentenced Daniel Holdham to two life sentences in prison for the murders of Carly and Candelise. The judge at the time, Robert Allen Hume, said his treatment of Carly showed complete disdain for her existence as a human being, and he labeled the murder of extreme gravity and appalling depravity. For him, she was just flesh with a life that could be extinguished for his vile pleasure. And he described Holdem's killing of the completely defenceless two-year-old girl as despicable. And his last quote from the court was, the offender, for at least for the foreseeable future, represents a danger to society. So that was a tough one. Um, you just wonder how anyone could do something like that to a child. How could you just hurt that tiny little girl? Terrible. Yeah, and she was so cute. I know. And it sounds like they didn't have an easy life. Um, you know, yeah, she was like only Carly. 20 when she was two. Yeah, and travelling around and, you know, I, I'm sure he preyed on her because she was vulnerable and looking for... How old is he? He's older. I don't know. I'll just have a look now. I think he was in his 40s when he was found. He was, in 2018, he was 44. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, I think that's what it would have been. Yeah, 2018, he was 44. So at the time of the killings, he would have been 34 and she was 20. So he was Gross. quite a bit older than her. Yeah. So I've put, I'll up on the blog, I'll put all the pictures and maps and there's some really, really great, there's lots and lots of information on this. It was a really high profile case here. So I'll put all the clips up if you want to learn more about the trial and what happened. It, it was very sadly interesting because it was just a crazy, crazy crime. Okay. So if those two terrible, gruesome stories weren't enough for you, we have one more to round out the episode. This one is about... Valerie Reyes. She was 24 years old. She lived in New Rochelle, New York, and her body was found in Greenwich, Connecticut on February 5th, 2019. Um, This one is kind of local to me, so I followed it pretty closely. When her body was found in the suitcase in Greenwich, Connecticut, it was a big shock factor because for those who don't know, Greenwich is a very wealthy area. Um, I used to have to work there sometimes, and the people were what you would imagine super rich snobby people would be like, not to be rude. Um, But it is known as one of the wealthiest cities in America. In 2018, the average household income in its old Greenwich neighborhood was 336,000. And it's the 12th highest in the nation. So it was a big shock to 
have a poor girl's body in a suitcase in the woods there. A little bit about Valerie, because some of the things in her background will be a little relevant later on. So she was 24 years old, and Loha did a write-up on her, and it said, Valerie Reyes had the soul of an artist and the work ethic of a CEO. Her mom, Norma Sanchez, and best friend, Joffrey or Jeffrey Anderson. I think that's Jeffrey, because that's how my grandfather was spelled Jeffrey, and that was his yeah, spelling. Jeffrey with a G. <laughs> Anderson said she was a homebody who loved to read and engage in creative activities. She lugged books to coffee shops. She sang in her apartment. She found solace in long walks around Beachmont Lake and hikes along nature trails. She drew portraits for her friends and dreamed of becoming a tattoo artist like her brother. She harnessed her creativity to fight bouts of depression and anxiety, and she cherished Sundays when her family, including her mother, older brother, and two younger brothers hung out and caught up with one another's lives. So she sounds like nice, friendly girl. Yeah. She sounds lovely. So she, very sweet. Yeah, and she's very pretty. I know it doesn't matter if they're pretty or not, but she just <laughs> seems but, you know, only the really pretty nice ones are sad. I'm joking. Yeah. I'm joking. <laughs> it's always it, it's funny to say on this, be like, she was so pretty because when people in our group like say that about People are they're like, there's literally been people in our group that a guy will be missing or something. And they'll be like, oh, my God, he's so hot. And we're like, we're like, get out of here, trash. <laughs> it's like the one they're like, wow, she was so beautiful. It's such a shame. And it's like, wasn't it a shame if someone had, you know, wasn't, wasn't so beautiful? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. People are weird. Um, okay. So Valerie was reported missing to the New Rochelle Police Department by her family on the morning of January 30th after she didn't show up to work at Barnes & Noble the day prior. And so really no one heard from her for two days. And just for reference, New Rochelle to Greenwich, it's about like a 20-minute drive, maybe a little less, maybe a little more, depending on traffic. (laughs) People hadn't heard from her for two days, and mysteriously, her iPhone, iPad, some of her clothes, and her bedsheets were missing, which prompted a lot of people to wonder if maybe she ran away and took her belongings. But then... The bed sheets seemed weird to a lot of people. Like, why would she yeah. take her bed sheets? If she's going to stay in a motel or something, you don't need to take generally your own sheets. Yeah. yeah. I saw when I was reading through the comments on this one in our group, someone said it reminded them of Chris Watts almost because I guess Chris Watts took like all the sheets off the beds after he killed Shannon. Yeah. Her missing persons flyer mentioned that she struggled with anxiety and depression. So that also added to maybe she ran away because not they don't always say that unless it's like a missing person and they think they ran off to kill themselves or something yeah they they usually say you know it might be a danger to themselves or yeah Yeah, suffering from a medical condition it seemed like it was leaning towards that in the beginning Mm. so along the lines of the anxiety and depression her mother did an interview with low hud and she said The night before Valerie went missing, she was very scared, very frightened. And this is a quote. Um, She didn't mention anything or no one specific. She just said, I'm scared. I'm paranoid, mommy. I'm getting anxiety attacks. She was having a hard time talking. Her mother also said, I asked her, why do you feel this way? Was there someone at your house? I asked about her ex-boyfriend and she said, no. Her mother also said, um, Valerie told her that she was afraid someone was going to murder her which adds another strange twist to the whole thing. Yeah, and I guess, you know, if they did worry that about her mental health, maybe they thought that this was all kind of... Like a mental delusion. breakdown. Yeah. I remember that was what I thought at first. 
there was a point when a lot of people were suspicious of her very recent ex-boyfriend. The two had like just broke up within like that week or so, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, his name was Justin Orda. Um, he was very active on social media about her disappearance. People thought that he was making comments about her mental health as well and kind of making it seem like she may have run away. So people were kind of side-eyeing that a little. Um, we have screenshots of a lot of the stuff and we'll post them on our website. His username was J-U-S underscore E-S-Q. One of his tweets said, Aside the scary situation, please, please make sure that we all keep in mind the importance of mental health. If you're ever going through something rough, there's always someone you can talk to. Just don't shrug it off and let it be speak up and say something. Another thing he said, this wasn't reference. I I think at the time people didn't know what he was talking about really yet, but it'll come up later. But another tweet he said was, we're grateful that we have been given some proof that Valerie is still alive and well. She was still in NYC, the NYC area. She is still missing and hasn't contacted anyone yet. We don't want to give up and we're still searching for her. Please retweet and spread the word. And someone replied and said, you have proof she's still alive. May I ask how if she hasn't been reached or been spotted? And he said, I can't disclose much right now, but I know she's out there. She's been missing since Tuesday, but we opened the case on Wednesday. And he also tweeted a broken heart which was a little melodramatic. Mm. So a private investigator hired by the family noted that someone attempted to withdraw a large sum of money from her bank account twice um, between 2 a.m. and 5 a.m., like the night that she went missing. Once it was from a Chase ATM in Midtown Manhattan. I I didn't see where the other one was, but they were like in the same area. Um, at the time, the police said they reviewed the surveillance and it was unclear if the person was Valerie or not. Um, I think it was said that they were wearing a hood. Yeah. So then on the morning of February 5th, 2019, in Greenwich, Connecticut, public works employees that were working on Glenville Road found a red suitcase about 15 feet from the road in the woods and the suitcase contained human remains. People didn't put this together right away. Um, I remember in the group, we had a separate thread for this body being found and a separate thread for her being missing and and ended up having to combine them. And I guess if they thought she was in New York City, it might not be the first leap that you'd go to. There are some photos of the suitcase in the woods and things like that. Someone from the Greenwich Police Department said the victim was found at the scene inside a suitcase with her hands and feet bound. Eventually, this victim was identified as Valerie, and her cause of death was listed as homicidal asphyxiation. Another statement from the Greenwich Police Department was, The Greenwich Police Department is dedicated to identifying those responsible for the death of Valerie and ensuring justice for her and her family. We continue to work with New Rochelle Police and other law enforcement agencies at multiple levels and have engaged in a variety of resources to assist in the investigation. So after her body was found that same day and the next day, neighbors were telling the news that they saw forensics teams there at Valerie's apartment. And then in like a spinoff story, it came out that one of the highway workers took photos of her remains in the suitcase, which is terrible. Yeah. Greenwich first selectman Peter (laughs) Tesey said... It's an egregious lack of judgment and sensitivity to the situation that someone's wife, daughter, sister, to have done something like that shows disregard for the decedent and their loved ones. It's really unconscionable. 
I can never say con- uncon- unconscionable that word. I can't even say like un- <laughs> like I was knocked unconscious. It's so There's hard for me words to say. In that egregious, like I oh know the words that just don't roll off the tongue. Egregious descendant, unconscionable. <laughs> Anyways, he was unpleased with it overall. So James Clifford was demoted from his position as a foreman of the Department of Public Works for six months, suspended without pay for five days, and lost five vacation days. He was also required to complete sensitivity training. Um, he you think that maybe have sensitivity training when you start a job, not after you've taken photos of a dead body. And- <laughs> yeah, and I feel like the like the five vacation days, which is like really like just extra pettiness, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> just like we probably only had five left, so like, we'll we'll just take. Yeah, them. <laughs> You're like well, screw you. Just a, a weird punishment, but he was not facing criminal charges for the photos. Um, his attorney said his actions were an error in judgment, but there was no ill will or bad intention. I feel like this happens a lot, like not for him, but just in general. People always take photos and. Of you know, like of say a, a really terrible car accident or yeah. something like that. So I like I I know it was wrong, but I do think well, even that the, the human Bryant. instinct is just to be curious. Yeah, exactly, just to be curious. So I don't think he did it to be a sicko. I think he just did it because yeah. he probably couldn't believe it himself. And you know, he's like, oh my god, you know. Yeah, just like in the moment where you're just like shocked and me just want to tell someone like. And I, I'm absolutely not justifying it. He he probably shouldn't have. Well, he shouldn't have done it, but. I, I can kind of see in that situation that you might be like, oh, my God. Yeah, just a dumb mistake. So that brings us to February 12th, 2019. Police arrested 24-year-old Javier, Javier de Silva in Queens, New York, on a federal charge of kidnapping resulting in death. He has an Instagram. Um, his Instagram handle is I got a visual. And his Facebook URL is Javier Majestic, which just lets you know right off the bat that he's a douchebag. Yeah. I was just going to say, looking at that photo that you've got, he, you can just tell. He's real fish. smug. <laughs> yeah, he can join the smug bitch society. <laughs> yeah, he is real smug. He has like Jesus hair. Yeah, he's wearing like, it looks like a type blade. Like, it looks like they're in Target, I think. He's wearing a blazer, you know, he's a real... He, he was probably one of those stuff. people that wore like ugly sweaters to be ironic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just gets like an ugly haircut to be ironic. Yeah, yeah. Just like an annoying person. Mm-hmm. So the following day, he was interviewed at New Rochelle Police Department. He waived his Miranda rights and stated that on or about January 29th, twenty nineteen, he had sex with Valerie at her home. He said at some point, Valerie fell to the floor and hit her head. He indicated that he placed packing tape over her mouth, bound her legs and hands, and put her in a suitcase. Because, you know, that's like what you do reasonably when someone accidentally falls yeah. and hits their head. You just whip out the duct tape. <laughs> just, again, it's not funny. Just it just, oh, no, it's so ridiculous. Like, it's, ridiculous it's just story. ridiculous that he even thought that that lie was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, he then said that he placed the suitcase in his car and drove away after driving for some time. He placed the suitcase in the woods. So he was an ex-boyfriend of Valerie's, but he is not the same boyfriend that everyone was suspicious of. So just a friendly reminder to not always start a witch hunt and jump down <laughs> someone's throat just because they are acting um, a little strange in your opinion, because then you'll feel like an asshole. Justin's tweets were kind of a bit, you know, because he was all on board for the mental health. So that that could be a sign of something shady. Yeah. I think it, he, I think that he, not 
not that he was like attention seeking, but just like wanting to be part of it kind of. Yeah. Like how how locals get sometimes when they're like, I live 10 minutes away. So then, oh, okay. So Javier, he was also suspected of fraudulently using Valerie's ATM cards. According to the criminal complaint, this is all from, it says Javier kidnapped a woman, Valerie Reyes, the victim in New Rochelle, New York, bound her feet, hands, placed packing tape over her mouth, put her in a suitcase and transported her to Greenwich, Connecticut, where he disposed of her body, resulting in the death of the victim. So Valerie was still alive when he put her in the suitcase, which is extra shitty because she probably didn't have to die. It's a terrible way to die. She must have been so scared. Ugh, that's awful. It also said, upon inspecting the suitcase, law enforcement officers found a deceased female in her 20s, 30s, shoulder length, black hair. The female was barefoot, an unbuttoned shirt and denim jeans. She was bound at the feet and knees and her hands were bound behind her back with what appeared to be white twine and packing tape there was also packing tape over her mouth and chin there were obvious signs of head trauma including bruising around her face and a large hematoma to the deceased female's forehead at the time law enforcement discovered the body of the deceased female was in early stages of decomposition um, then they went into the investigation a little bit said in regards to her bank account it said based on the investigators review of surveillance footage they knew that on or about January 29th at approximately 5 a.m., a black Honda CRV pulled up towards what they're calling Bank Branch 1 and parked across the street in a neighboring parking lot. An individual exited the vehicle, crossed the street, and entered the Vink vestibule. <laughs> Can't say any words tonight. Vestibule? Vestibule, yeah. Vestibule? Yeah, and entered the bank vestibule. The individual, who appeared to be male, wore a black hooded sweatshirt over his head, dark pants, and black sneakers with white soles. The individual then exited the bank and entered the Honda and drove westward. So police traced the vehicle, actually, to a ride-sharing company, and upon contacting them, they learned that the car was being used by Javier. From there, they used surveillance where Javier lived. It was like an apartment complex. And they saw that he left at 10.50 p.m. on January 28th wearing black hooded sweatshirt over his head, dark pants, and the same shoes, matching the person who attempted to access Valerie's bank account. So then he returned to his condo around 9.43 a.m. the next morning. He was wearing a long tan coat and carrying a duffel bag before leaving again several minutes later. I don't know if... Yeah, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I don't know if that duffel bag is supposed to be like the suitcase she was in, or no, but I don't know why he'd be carrying it. So he I doesn't don't know if seem he just... like he's either very dumb or very cocky or both. Yeah. Because, like, so he's seen in all these, like, he just left a massive trail. You know, he's using a ride sharing car to go to this bank. And he and probably thought that, that was smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, um, and it keeps saying that he attempted to get money out. So that makes me think that. He didn't know her PIN number. Oh, yeah, he's just doing all these strange things. Like, I, I, I would say probably for me it seems like he was very cocky. Yeah, I think I don't – I wouldn't say necessarily that it was, like, planned. Like, he went to meet up with her knowing he was going to kill her. I'd say maybe something happened yeah. and he hit her in the head and then he just kind of was like, oh, I'm just going to go throw her body in the woods. And Yeah. Okay, so he returned to his apartment and then left again several minutes later. So while searching Valerie's apartment, they found a drawing of Javier that matched Javier's Instagram profile photo, which is 
just like kind of shitty and gross. So Valerie's mother recalled Valerie drawing the portrait of the suspect while the two were dating. She said they dated for about eight months. When her father learned what happened, he ended up tearing up the portrait in disgust, which is sad. Yeah. Her mother remembered Valerie, quote, taking pity on Javier when he told her his mother was dying of cancer. Her mother said that Valerie said, Mommy, his mother has cancer and I want to support him. And her mother said she was an angel like that. She remembered Javier was, quote, really pushy, wouldn't take no for an answer. And my daughter started getting frustrated with him and ended it. So even the mom says that he was, like, pushy. Yeah. Um, our pal Kirsten that we've mentioned a few times, um, she posted in the thread that she found um, a post of his on a New York City rent-by-sell Facebook group that said, I'm renting a large shared room, parentheses, preferably to a woman. In a two-bedroom apartment, the room is not furnished. You will have access to the kitchen and living room. We're friendly people, 420 friendly. The area is quiet, three blocks from the subway. Delis open 24 hours, shopping centers of all kinds nearby. So just that to point out that he's a douchebag, like preferably yeah. a woman. Like, listen, no <laughs> woman wants to room with you. <laughs> so it brings us to February 16th. Um, I couldn't find any videos of this, but I guess Javier did a 45-minute jailhouse interview with the New York Post where they said he cried uncontrollably, apologized repeatedly. He insisted he tried to revive her before putting her in the suitcase. Before putting her in the suitcase and putting duct tape on her mouth. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's not how you do CPR, guy. <laughs> Reverse CPR. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> um, some quotes that they had in the article that he said were, I didn't know what to do. I don't know what happened. I didn't mean to do it. I'm a bad person. I did something wrong. I didn't call the police. I thought they would blame me. They asked how she died, and he said, she fell. We fell together. The interviewer then asked if she fell off the bed, and he nodded. Um, he claimed, oh, this is fucking great. He claimed that he took cash out of her bank account because he wanted to get caught and knew that that would get him caught. Like, fuck off. No one believes you. Why don't you just call the police and say, yeah. hey, this girl died in my apartment. You can. There's a lot easier ways to get caught than <laughs> take, try to get money out of her bank multiple times by when using a rideshare service to take you to the bank. <sighs> yeah, he's clearly just trying to save face, but we all know that you're a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, so then that brings us a year later. Not much happened between then and this year. Um, February 5th, 2020, a year to the day that Valerie's body was found, Javier entered a guilty plea. He is facing 30 years to life in prison on federal charge of kidnapping. Exactly one year ago, the body of Valerie Reyes was found in a suitcase in Greenwich, Connecticut on a roadside. Today, the man who kidnapped her and left the New Rochelle woman there to die, pleaded guilty. CBS 2's Tony Aiello has more on the crime and the likely punishment. With this meticulous signature on a seven-page plea agreement, 25-year-old Javier Da Silva admits he kidnapped his ex-girlfriend and left her to die in a suitcase he dumped on the side of a road. He really took away an innocent girl who was missed. 
Brenda DiGiacomo lives across from the New Rochelle home where Valerie Reyes vanished in January 2019. Relentless police work led law enforcement to De Silva, who dated Reyes briefly. Wednesday, on the sixth floor of White Plains Federal Court, he pleaded guilty to kidnapping Reyes and causing her death, saying in Spanish, quote, After a violent struggle in her apartment, while Valerie Reyes was still alive, I bound her feet and hands, put tape over her mouth, and put her in a suitcase. De Silva admitted dumping the suitcase in Greenwich, where it was found February 5th, 2019. Wednesday in court, we learned important new details. The prosecution was ready to prove De Silva re-rented the exact same vehicle he used to drive the victim to Connecticut in order to take that vehicle to a car wash and scrub it clean of any DNA evidence. Police also believe he stole close to $10,000 from the victim's accounts starting in September 2018 and continuing after the kidnapping. De Silva faces 30 years to life when he's sentenced in May. Um, new details were also released at that time. Um, federal prosecutors said Javier switched his cell phone to airplane mode before he entered Valerie's residence, which is suspicious. <laughs> kind of seems like he was planning something. Yeah. After covering her mouth with tape and putting her in the suitcase, he turned to stealing her money and belongings. He used her debit card to make $5,350 in withdrawals. And remember how we said her iPad was missing earlier? Mm -hmm. um, he sold that after he killed her or she after she died. Definitely seems like he didn't mean to do it. <laughs> yeah, definitely seems like he is very apologetic and sad about it. Like, disgust. Um, so yeah, he sold her iPad and the U.S. attorney or the attorney, Jeffrey S. Berman, said in a statement, as he admitted to in court, Javier De Silva committed a horrid kidnapping that resulted in the tragic death of Valerie Reyes, a young woman with her entire adult life ahead of her. Thanks to the excellent work of the FBI and our local law enforcement partners, De Silva is now facing serious consequences. So he was supposed to be sentenced on May 21st, but due to coronavirus, his sentencing was pushed back to August 5th, which clearly still hasn't happened. And it was pushed back again to November 4th, 2020. So hopefully it won't get pushed back again and he'll get punished. I don't understand like why sentencing needs to be pushed back. Like I get a trial or whatever because it involves a lot of people, but surely they can just do the sentencing with the judge or whoever's going to sentence him get it done why do they keep pushing that back yeah maybe it's like a priority basis or something yeah and i guess also there's other like i know there's court clerks and all that type of stuff i get that but you would think that a sentence would be one of the easier things to get done yeah well i think he's just sitting in jail so whatever and hopefully he'll be there for the rest so of his life so you could sit there and wait <laughs> javier <laughs> dumb hair <laughs> fuck him <laughs> um but that is it for the stories we chose for these episodes so basically in summary people who put bodies in suitcases are generally terrible psychopaths Depraved that have no problem creep. with dismembering bodies murdering children you name it i feel like out of all the three cases the first one that we spoke about seems a bit less depraved which I, I know I don't even I'm just you know this is my personal opinion the other two were clearly you know overkill the, the Australian one was very planned like you know he knew what he was doing he was driving to dump the child and all that 
Valerie, the guy, you know, like we said, all the duct tape, all that, that's crazy. But then I think maybe with um, Austin, his name Austin and Jessica, it was kind of like an anger, spur of the moment anger thing and he just put them in the suitcase as a way to get rid of them. Yeah. Whereas the other two were a bit more, um, another word, a bit more full on. I think Javier did it because I think I remember reading that, you know, he didn't know what to do with her body. And I think that, I think the suitcase was hers. So it was just yeah. there. And also New Rochelle is more of a city area. So. Yeah. So he would have had less options. Yeah. But to and me, I guess the- it, it, is, it would be easier for anyone to carry a suitcase and it would be to carry a, a body. Like I know the just weight the is the same, but at least you've got the handles and you've got the structure of the suitcase to carry. <laughs> And it's all in one kind of block, whereas a body would be much harder to carry, I think. And people would be like, hey, this guy's carrying a body. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the first one's just crazy to me because it was over rent, like something so petty and terrible. Yeah. He took two lives, ruined their family's lives. Just disgusting. I think sometimes people just snap, obviously, like that's, I know it sounds like almost a dumb thing to say, but sometimes people kill over the smallest things. Like I know there's a thread in the group in the moment about a road rage thing where some guy shot a girl and her stepfather over a road rage incident, just things where just people lose their minds and yeah, it's too late to turn it back once that their little, you know, momentary lapse is finished. Can't trust anyone. But that is it for this episode um let us know what you guys think of these episodes where we do a few little ones instead of like a big one or if you guys have any other ideas for a themed episode let us know um we were thinking he's already started already doing some work for us on caught on cctv which Mm -hmm. i think is a very interesting one yep it's always interesting when the crime is caught on tape yeah. And still not solved. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let us know if you have any other ideas. Um, I know we mentioned reviews in the beginning. If you haven't left us a review, please leave us a review. It'll help us maybe get sponsors one day and then we could quit our jobs and live out our podcast streams and we'll put out <laughs> even more episodes and everyone will be happy. So let's be proactive and let's yeah. head over to make Apple it, and give a good make review. Make it happen. Make it happen. And things like that. Um, we usually say in the post, but I don't think I've ever said on the podcast, if you do want to show support for us and help pay some of our hosting expenses, we pay for everything ourselves. You can donate to us at Kofi, K-O-F-I dot com slash True Crime Society. Or is it K-O-F-I? Yeah, K-O-F-I. Okay, so you can do so at ko-fi.com slash true crime society it's supposed to be like coffee and it's like donating coffees i'll figure out a way to put a coffee coffee link coffee link on the blog as well so if you want to come and check out the blog for this episode we'll put all the clips all the social media everything up there and we'll put a link for a donate button up there too yep and if you aren't in our facebook group if you just found our podcast somehow definitely join our facebook group because that's where it all began (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can join in on all these crazy stories and crazy people and crazy group members that we love dearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's really it. Maybe we can tagline. <laughs> I was going to say, I think our new tagline. I've been laughing for the past week over 
when people are shitty, Olivia's new thing to say to them was <laughs> before like booting them from the Facebook group was thanks for the memories. Uh, oh, this has been an extra shitty week as well on like people are seem to be some people, some people seem to be extra shitty. So we've, we've had a few yeah. times where we could say that. <laughs> so thanks for the memes, everyone. <laughs> Hope you have a great week and we will see you next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye.